The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian, investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today it is my honor to welcome Mr. Grant Lundberg. He is the CEO of Lundberg Family Farms, which you may know from their delicious whole grain and organic rice. They sell organic and specialty rice and rice products to the natural food industry. Mr. Lundberg has an interesting background. He has a Bachelor of Science degree in Agricultural Management from California Polytechnic State University with a concentration in Farm Management. He also has a Master's of Science from Iowa State in Agricultural Economics. Mr. Lundberg, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here with you, Melinda. Well, I'm really interested in this proposition that's coming up on the California ballot called California Right to Know. It's really about the consumer's right to know whether or not they are consuming genetically engineered ingredients and whether or not they're feeding those GMOs or genetically engineered ingredients and foods to their family. And I'm impressed because as the CEO of a family farm, as a rice grower, you support labeling foods. You support mm-hmm. the consumer's right to know. Why mm-hmm. is that? Yeah, that's important. And Melinda, let me just tell you a quick history of our farm, and maybe you'll get a sense of why we're so engaged in this Great. Um, consumer issue. My family moved out from Nebraska during the Dust Bowl and came to California, and that was 1937. That was 75 years ago. And the Dust Bowl and the Depression left a huge impact on my family. They wanted to come to a place where they could take care of the soil, and they knew that was really important to food and health of humans. And also they wanted to provide a stable income for the family. So they moved to California. Northern California started to grow rice, which was already being grown here did it in a way where they were rotating their crops and fallowing, using nitrogen-fixing cover crops, turning in the stubble into the ground to build up the soil. And through that, in the late 60s, they had some folks come to them and said, you know, we know how you farm, we know how you care for the soil, we'd like you to raise organic rice and mill it and sell us organic brown rice. And so my family decided to get out of the um, traditional kind of marketing cooperative or large marketing firm participation. They decided to build their own rice mill. They had to figure out what it meant to raise organic food. To do that, they talked to Robert Rodale at Rodale Press, who wrote Organic Gardening magazine, and they felt like he had the best sense of how to do this. So they learned about that, and then they started to sell their product, grown by themselves, milled, 
and packed and shipped to the customer. And I think through that process, they really started to understand how important it was to listen to their consumers and understand what they wanted to know about their food. And because my family was very focused on delivering healthy food and taking care of the soil, that was only a natural conversation. And so out of that, how my family kind of got into this issue on GMOs was probably, you know, we've been dealing with this issue over the last 20 years. Folks from the large biotech companies wanted to develop GMO varieties and move them into California. We worked with the local farmers and the industry here to develop a process that really asked the GE technology companies to prove to us why this, you know, how could this work in the industry and how would it benefit the industry. And that simple kind of process really challenged the GE companies so that they didn't come into our industry. And the other thing that happened was that, as you know, about five years ago, there was a research escape of L.L. Rice, and it was basically a research GE variety. They escaped in the South. It was supposed to be just in research. They found it throughout the whole Southern supply, and the South lost a lot of markets And really it proved that, you know, this technology is very difficult to control. And that's just a basic physical characteristic of it. And so some of those events like that made us really mindful that, you know, we know our consumers don't want this. They want to know if our product has it in it. And it's important for us to tell them. And so that basic history has kind of brought us to the forefront of this issue around consumers want to know what's in their food. And one of those things they want to know, has it been genetically engineered? Exactly. And, you know, as a dietitian, I feel like our food is preventive medicine. And we need to know what's in our food, how it's produced, Are there any risks to consuming foods that have been genetically engineered? And even though the industry that profits from these crops are very quick to tell us that now, now, everything's fine, it's all, it's safe, there really have been no long-term safety studies. So I, you know, I subscribe to the precautionary principle, especially Mm -hmm. when it comes to feeding our children, the next generation. Shouldn't we err on the side of caution? And you, you brought up a very good point because I believe this this program is is based in Columbia, Missouri. Of course, it's broadcast nationally. Mm-hmm. But I remember when this genetically engineered research rights escaped, and I believe Missouri was part of um, the region of the country that was affected. Mm-hmm. So this idea of this notion that we can coexist really mm-hmm. implies that there's going to be contamination. I don't believe mm-hmm. that we can coexist just Mm -hmm. by the example that you gave. You know, Mm -hmm. pollen moves around. Yes, we call it promiscuous pollen. But one of the interesting ideas about labeling, and in my mind, that really is very capitalist, and it's a very democratic idea, on the basis that, you know, people have a right to make their own choice. And the other point is that, 
You know, as Apple, let's say, comes out with a new iPhone, they tell consumers, this is the benefit, this is why it's good for you, we think it's worth this, do you agree? And consumers get to go and decide, is that right? And it really helps companies find value. Now, if in this process the folks that benefit from the technology being adopted have no way to reach out to the consumer and understand where is the value, how are we creating value, and to respect that decision, it really is a basic flaw of the system to not have that kind of check and balance. And, of course, that's just one issue in the in a gamut, but I, to me that's an interesting question that I ask lots of folks. So how do you discover value in this if the consumer can't weigh in? Well, you raise a very interesting point. I recently took a look at a poster that the Cornucopia Institute had produced, and mm-hmm. it's very simple. You know, it's, it's Proposition 37, your right to know. Mm-hmm. And then it looks on one side at the businesses who are funding secrecy, basically. Mm-hmm. They are right. funding keeping consumers in the dark. And then on the other side, and Lundberg, Family Farms, I'm happy to say, is on the the side of keeping consumers informed. Mm -hmm. There's this contrast. And one of the food companies that's paying a lot of money to keep consumers in the dark is General Mills. And I had Mm -hmm. contacted General Mills to ask them if there was genetically engineered corn in their kick cereal because it's being marketed with children in mind. Mm -hmm. And I got some very curious responses from the consumer representative. For example, I was told that they use ingredients from biotechnology improved crops. And they, of course, say they're completely safe. But, you know, I don't see the data. I asked for data to prove that, and I have still not seen it from the consumer Mm -hmm. representative. I don't understand how biotechnology improves crops. I do understand that biotechnology is designed to either incorporate a pesticide in every cell of the plant or to engineer a plant so that it can withstand herbicide spraying. I don't mm-hmm. see how that I don't see how that helps the consumer. Do you? Yeah, I think that's a question the consumer needs to ask, and I think that's left out of this conversation. And I think that some of the history on this issue is that in 1992 the administration then and Dan Quayle set what they call the equivalency policy, and that is that, you know, genetically engineered crops are no different than non-genetically engineered, and that really opened the floodgate for not having to do long-term safety testing or environmental testing because they just assumed away the difference. And so I think a lot of what we're dealing with now was set into policy a long time ago. I do think that if you went to, let's say, a, a bureau like the United States Department of Agriculture and asked them about labeling one off the side, they've had to, when uh, this there was this Starlink failure and also the LL Rice failure, they had to go out and tell the U.S. commodity partners and customers, they had to run the gauntlet to protect the U.S. farmer or try to do damage control. And if we had labeling, that would organize the crops and make the growers aware that there are markets that that want this or maybe markets that don't. We do need to set up different ways to preserve purity and segregate. But I think that's all a part of consumer choice. Mm -hmm. And all that is left out when we don't have labeling. 
Mm-hmm. And don't you think it's curious that if the claim is that there's no difference, that one could be patented over another? Yeah, yeah, that is a good point. That is a curious kind of observation. Mm. But I think going back to you know your some of the major ideas of your show, I do think that as we are looking at healthcare costs, and I I think it's up around eighty percent of all U.S. healthcare costs are preventable. Our diet is so important to our quality of life and our our health and our economic well-being. And I think it's really important that as we look at new ways, new technologies, we need to take the time and do the work that needs to be done to make sure that we're not increasing our health care costs, that we're not exacerbating people's health issues. And it just takes time to work through that. And I think this technology maybe in the future could be good, but it really was ran out so quickly out of the lab that I just feel like we got to give consumers a right to make a choice. Do they want this or not? Because there's so many other health issues they're dealing with. They just have to understand this. Mm-hmm. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Mr. Grant Lundberg. He is the CEO of Lundberg Family Farms, and you've probably seen his delicious rice on sale. He sells organic and specialty rice and rice products to the natural food industry. He is a graduate of California Polytech State University. He has a Bachelor's of Science in Agricultural Management. He has a Master's of Science in Agricultural Economics, and he's been very active, a vocal proponent of California's Proposition 37, Your Right to Know, which would very simply put a label on foods if they contain genetically engineered ingredients. You know, I think it was one of our founding fathers who said that democracy depends on an informed citizenry. Mm-hmm. And to me, knowing what we're putting in our food is so basic to the American principles, right? Mm-hmm. So why is it that some in the food industry do not want genetically engineered foods labeled? Well, that is a really good question, and I really do don't know the answer to that. To me, it seems very intuitive if you have consumers that are asking questions that as a food manufacturer, you need to get those answers to the consumers. They are the people paying for what you do, and you're trying to satisfy their needs. And so I'm just not quite understanding, you know, why the food companies are in such opposition to this. I can't understand the economic principle behind that. One of the arguments that those people within the food industry who don't want labeling are using right now is that it's going to drive up the cost of our food. And, you Mm -hmm. know, a couple years ago I did an interview with Gary Hirschberg with Stonyfield Farm, Mm -hmm. and he said, you know, manufacturers change labels all the time. It's no big deal. It is not a big cost. So I think we need to blow that myth out of the water right away. I agree. We change our labels frequently. There's always something changing, some new information that you need to get out there. And actually, the campaign has done studies on this, and it's just pennies or less. So I don't think that's a valid argument. I also think what's interesting is that, okay, if companies are using genetically modified ingredients, and then when they don't, if they don't want a label, then they're going to need to change their ingredients. 
The question is to me right now is, well, why are you using it if you don't want to tell the consumer about it? You know, I mean, you as a manufacturer or we as a manufacturer have to make choices about the ingredients we use. And if we can't be forthright with the types of ingredients we're using and stand behind their use, that's a problem. And so, you know, they talk about driving up costs, but my question is, why are you using it in the first place? And if you have to label and must change, that means that really you think you shouldn't be using it now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm also curious about this notion that if somehow the label needs to be different in California, that mm-hmm. will drive up the cost because the rest of the country isn't on board. And my thinking right. is, well, just go ahead and slap it on there. There, There isn't any regulation in any other state saying you can't have it labeled. So right. I don't understand the logic yeah, behind that argument. In, interesting enough, you know, you take a look at your labels, especially let's say like Coke cans. Mm-hmm. They're labeled for multiple states, you know, on the refund right. issue. And California had the first organic law. And many companies who were organic, most of them all labeled to meet the California standard. I mean, there's precedent for this. No manufacturer is going to give up the California market. They're mm-hmm. going to make the adjustments and they're going to manage it throughout the country based on this large market in California. Mm-hmm. I'm very much interested in how California votes on this because mm-hmm. there have been attempts to label in other states Mm-hmm. And while I haven't followed the whole course of events very closely, it seems to me that there have been threats put on the legislature saying that if mm-hmm. you if you label the product, I believe there was a case in Vermont, yes. that certainly the citizens in Vermont wanted their foods labeled, yep. and then there was a threat to the legislature that they were going to be sued. Right. Uh, how is it going to be different in California? Well, I think that's a good question. I think... Number one, no one can stop this except the voter in California. Mm-hmm. The opposition can spend a lot of money about it, but they can't stop the train. They can't stop the election. That's democracy. And the reason why it is a state ballot initiative is because the biotech industry has lobbied so extensively in Washington and shut down our healthy and strong institutional processes that help protect voters and and consumers against issues. That's all been taken out. And this is almost a last resort on this issue. As you said, what is it, 19 states have either tried legislative fixes, there's been a few initiatives that haven't passed, but usually the biotech industry gets in there and lobbies against it and will shut down the state legislature. So it's a bit dysfunctional the way we're having to handle this, but we're doing it because the other means, the normal institutions that really should be looking out for the consumer's best interest and farmer's best interests and and the environment have been shut down to this. So we in California have kind of taken up the gauntlet on this issue to, um, you know, because there's really no one left that can make change in this area. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's great power in farmers and consumers coming together in solidarity mm-hmm. over issues that I always say farmers are really the true pharmacists and that you produce preventive right. medicine. 
And so we have a vested interest in working together as healthcare providers, as farmers, as consumers, to keep our nation healthy and fit and strong. Mm-hmm. And if we can show that farmers themselves, the, the folks that are toiling in the fields, want to communicate to consumers, hey, this is how we're growing our food, these are the ingredients that you're going to find in our products, it seems to me that it's un-American to restrict mm-hmm. our level of communication. Yeah. Melinda, I think in the big pictures, as many people have told me, this is a consumer issue. That's what it is. It's not a retailer issue. It's not a uh, manufacturer's issue. You know, and in my mind, I'm, I think a lot of farmers support it. I think a lot of farmers are fearful of it. But I think the consumer and the voter wants it. And that's what's really going to drive the change. And it also is a great opportunity to inform and inform other growers and manufacturers and retailers about the importance of this and really strengthen those ties. And so I do think it is important for the farmer, and they are a critical part of this process. But I also think that the way that the technology has been released, they've, the owners of it have really said, if you don't do this as a grower, you're going to be uncompetitive and unproductive. Mm-hmm. And that's really, again, leaving out the consumer. The consumer is who puts the value on this, and they can really measure its benefit. And so we've got to put that link back together the consumer with the farmer, and the, and the consumer sharing what they think is valuable. I find it very interesting to see who is putting money on keeping consumers in the dark. There are the players that you might suspect. So there's mm-hmm. Monsanto, of course. They're right. producing the genetically engineered seed and profiting from it and profiting from the sale of the herbicides that, that are sprayed on it. But then there are players in the food industry that are also contributing money to keep Mm -hmm. consumers in the dark. And I I find that to be curious and problematic because Mm -hmm. money is really powerful when it comes to spreading truth as well as propaganda that is questionable. Mm -hmm. What is Proposition 37 and the California Right to Know campaign doing to help keep consumers informed? Well, a couple of things. What we are doing right now is really getting out. We are a grassroots movement. We probably gathered the most volunteer signatures of any California initiative ever. So we have a great opportunity, you know, to get our message out through the network of people. I think it's also giving us an opportunity to put out op-ed to meet articles, to meet with the editors of all the major newspapers in California as they're trying to take positions on all the initiatives. So I think if you're to stay abreast of things, we do have a very active website. It's caright2know.org, and there any of your listeners can sign up to support, they can donate, they can learn how to help us in California win on November 6th. And there are a lot of important components to this legislation, so there's not only a label on a food, but correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that this legislation would also prevent 
food products that have a natural label on them from right so that's basically in the spirit of this legislation if the product includes genetically engineered ingredients you cannot use the term natural yeah which seems pretty intuitive but we felt like that needed to be in the legislation absolutely and mm-hmm. i think a lot of what a lot of consumers don't understand is that that natural label really doesn't mean much in terms of ingredients. And you can absolutely get genetically engineered ingredients in a product labeled natural, but not the case with organic. Right. And I always tell my clients and consumers that if you want to avoid genetically engineered ingredients, the best way to do that is to look for the organic label as well as the non-GMO verified. And I believe you're involved in that program too. I am, yeah. We are, and those are two within the legislation. I think one of the things that we grappled at with when we wrote it is we wanted it to be a simple piece of legislation and also effective, and we had to make a balance there. So there are some exemptions, like organic products are exempt from this, because in the National Organic Standard, you cannot use genetically engineered seeds. And so that just makes sense to exempt them. If you are participating in a verification standard that meets the Codex World Verification Process standard, you're exempt. And that makes sense. So we we went through things and made sure that we weren't adding a burden to the state and also just to the food channel that, and we wanted to make it intuitive and makes sense. And so you can look at the legislation online at CaliforniaRightToKnow.org and see some of those exemptions. Well, and I also want to hold your company up on a platform to also say that I love the way your particular company has information. Transparency is a big part of consumers' ability to choose foods that they feel are going to best nourish their families. Mm -hmm. And so I'm always looking for more transparency in the food Mm -hmm. system. And if our listeners go to www.lundberg.com, that's lundberg.com, you can learn about your farming practices. You can Mm -hmm. learn about the different products that you have, and you can also learn about your family business and their position on GMOs and how you're farming and what the different definitions mean. You know, are you an organic farmer? Are you farming not organically but sustainably? And I really appreciate the fact that you have that available for consumers. We've just got a minute left, Mr. Lundberg, and I want to give you an opportunity to say anything or bring a point up that I may have neglected to ask. Yeah, well, it's just been a great conversation, and I think the only point I would raise or observation, you know, this is the time for this issue. I have actually worked in this issue for over 20 years, and to have this kind of notoriety and press coverage, and we are really, we're bringing it to a head right now. We're either going to have labeling or not, and it's here in California, and so to your listeners, I just challenge them to get involved if you can. This is a great opportunity for everyone to know what's in their food. 
We'll leave it at that. Great message. Again, listeners, that's www.carighttoknow.org. Thank you. We've been speaking with Mr. Grant Lundberg. He is the CEO of Lundberg Family Farms. We'll have websites for you to go to to learn more about this topic. In closing, I want to remind our listeners that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. And I want to thank Mr. Lundberg for enlightening us about California's proposition on GMOs, voting yes on Proposition 37, Right to Know. This is a California proposition, but it has national implication. Thanks, Mr. Lundberg. Thank you. Thank you.